singing kind of their last verse or getting towards the end of the song, if you would come on up so we can go through one and get as many songs in tonight. I'll be singing 484. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We're glad you're here. We especially are grateful for those who are visiting with us tonight. We love guests here. We've got a few visitors with us and we want you to know how glad we are you come our way want to invite you to come back and be with us on Sunday morning at 930 
And then we'll have uh, great Bible classes on Sunday night at 5 o'clock. We'd love for you to come back and be with us on Sunday. I uh, hope you got a bulletin tonight. Please pick one up if you didn't. It's got an uh, update on the sick and some other pertinent information. Uh, we want to mention that uh, Chopper Taylor got good reports from his biopsy, so we're thankful for that. But please check the list for uh, others uh, that need our prayers. There's several listings in the bulletin about lads to leaders, particularly this coming Sunday. So please check that. We're getting close to uh, convention, and there's a lot of information there that uh, you need to uh, see about where you need to be uh, in the coming days. Uh, I will mention this. Art says it in Banner will meet in the annex at noon following uh, song leading and songs of praise uh, on Sunday. So please keep that in mind. Also, uh, we've got a significant group going to the Challenge Youth Conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And uh, there's about 69 or 70 going. It says here, we'll leave from the TAC at noon tomorrow. Uh, bring money for three fast food meals. You may have to take out a loan to do that because that's expensive nowadays, isn't it? But all other meals are going to be provided. Uh, also, we need individually wrapped snacks for CYC. If you can help with this, please place them in the Annex Kitchen tonight. And uh, if you need some more information about that, you can ask Dee Whirly. Also, uh, I want to mention, and the bulletin has it as well, our Valentine's date night child care was a great success. We appreciate uh, Bridget for organizing this. Uh, she says, I appreciate all the parents who took advantage of it and uh, allowed the teen Good Samaritans to accumulate points toward their goals. Says special thanks to Allie, Mary, Maddie, Brooklyn, Briley, uh, Jojo, Carson, and Zoe uh, for spending their Saturday night helping. Hopefully we'll be able to provide this service again in the future. Also, there's several area happenings, gospel meetings, and church events that uh, you might want to take advantage of. They're listed in the bulletin. I want to mention the Golden Circle Breakfast will be this coming Monday morning at 9 o'clock at the pit stop. The bus will leave at 8.30. Please keep in mind our food pantry item for the week. It's rice, uh, so we need your help in that. I believe that's all the announcements that I have tonight. For our devotional, JoJo Riley is going to be leading our singing. Brother Todd Sweeney is going to present our devotional thoughts. And uh, Jordan Coates will lead us in prayer. I'll be singing Blue Skies and Rainbow is not in the book, so sing out. Blue skies and Glad to see all of you here this evening. What comes to mind if I ask you, or, or when you think of fear? All of us have some type of fear, fear of heights, fear of darkness, fear of flying. Uh, Doug had a lesson uh, somewhat on this a week or so ago, all those phobias are out there. And we all have different fears, and we act different way to fears. 
But what about our fear of the Lord? In the 34 Psalms, David wrote, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, for obvious reasons, those should pique the interest of every individual who aspires to please God. So what really is involved in the fear of the Lord? First of all, the one who fears the Lord will guard his speech. The psalm went on to say, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Jesus echoed the need to control one's tongue in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, where he said, but I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Clearly, God is concerned with what his children say. So if we want to please him, we must watch our speech. The one who fears the Lord will depart from evil and do good. According to the Psalms 34 and 14, if the scriptures teach anything, they teach that those who desire to please God must avoid evil. The psalmist wrote, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law he meditates day and night. Isaiah instructed the people of the day to learn to do good, and seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Paul told the Thess Thessalonians to abstain from every form of evil. Surely the one who fears the Lord will comply. Finally, the one who fears the Lord will seek peace and pursue it. Psalms 34 and 14 Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If peace can be had, children of God must promote it. This is the fear of the Lord. Do we really fear the Lord? Or do we just go throughout our daily lives convincing ourselves that everything's okay, we're okay, and we're doing everything the right way? It's understandable to fear darkness, fear heights, fear of flying. But it's not understandable nor acceptable to live our lives not in fear of what God thinks about our actions or what we say or how we conduct ourselves. That's all something we need to examine ourselves and be sure that we're doing all of those things right. There may be some of you here tonight that are going through those times and, and you don't know which way to turn or you don't have someone to lean on. You've got a church family that's here for you, waiting to pray for you. So if you need those prayers, won't you come as we stand and sing? I always sing it when we all get to heaven, 853. When we all get to heaven, first and third verse. Sing no wondrous love of Jesus in His mercy and His grace. In love and sons bright and blessed,
something that we'll sing is 705, A Common Love. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this time that we can come together. Uh, we can fellowship with one another. We can worship you together. Uh, we ask that you be with us as we go to our classes. Help us to, to clear our minds of the world just for, just for a little bit tonight as we strive to study your word and to learn from it, to be refreshed by it, uh, to get us through the rest of our week, God. As always, we pray for those who can't be with us, uh, whether due to sickness or uh, for whatever various reasons, uh, ask that you would help us to to minister to them and to reach out to them and to bring them back to us. Uh, we are so thankful for all the blessings that you bestow upon us each and every day. Uh, we're most thankful for your son and his sacrifice for us. It's his name we pray. Amen. A common love for each other, a common gift to the Savior, a common bond, holding us to the sure is good to have you here in class tonight. Janita and I were in Indianola this past Sunday. I heard y'all had a great worship service. We're going to be in Ellaville, Georgia, Lord willing, this coming Sunday. I'm supposed, supposed to preach at the Oasis congregation there, and I would uh, pray that you would keep me in your prayers while we're gone this coming Sunday. You know, we have three adult classes. Brother Todd Sweeney is 
in the conference room downstairs. He's uh, teaching on watchful Christians. There's a ladies' class in the little chapel on uh, improving your Christian attitudes. And as you can see on the screen, we're studying letters to the uh, churches of Galatia. As I mentioned to you last week, we've got 13 lessons in this series, and we're on lessons two and three. We started out last week studying about the life of Paul, just went through a timeline of his life, and then to lay the foundations for Galatians, we are studying about the churches that he established, the places that he visited on his first missionary journey. And that takes a couple of lessons to get through that. Last week we got started in lesson two, and hopefully tonight we'll finish that and move on into lesson three and maybe finish that as well. You've got a study guide. We passed out some last week. We'll be on page 13. I have a few more copies over here. If you didn't get a study guide last week, Jeremy, would you, if you just hold up your hand, We'll pass one out to you. I think this is going to be an interesting class tonight. I don't know if you've ever heard a, an entire sermon by the Apostle Paul, but in our lesson tonight, there is a sermon recorded. Brother Rick Warner is our designated reader, and I have requested that he be Paul tonight, and he's going to preach to us like Paul would. Now, you know, it, maybe we can learn something from that because Paul was going to a place that didn't know about Christianity and maybe we can learn about how to share the gospel with someone else by looking at the Apostle Paul. We are in... Moving on into to Acts, the 13th chapter. We're starting in about verse 6 tonight. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was the with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God, but Eliamus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Just an observation, as near as I can tell, this is the first time in Scripture that we see Saul of Tarsus referred to as Paul. And I was just wondering... I know this question's not in your study guide, but I would call it a thought question. What is the significance of this apostle going by Paul rather than Saul? Has anybody got any thoughts on, on why from here on we're going to have him referred to as Paul instead of Saul? Well, I think the spirit of Saul is just persecuting Christians. Well... Brother Garrett said a lot of people are scared of Saul because he was known for persecuting Christians. I hadn't thought about the fact that uh, Christians might be afraid of him if he came in to hold a gospel meeting. But maybe, maybe Paul would be a more neutral answer. When I was thinking about that, <laughs> I, I know that that Saul is a Hebrew name. It goes all the way back to the first king uh, of Israel, but, and Paul was his Roman citizen's name. And what, what was the mission of Saul of Tarsus in terms of who was his target audience? Gentiles. And, and if, he's a, if his target audience is going to be anything other than Hebrews, if he's going to be talking to the Greeks then maybe Paul would make things more receptive for him. You know, he said he would become all things to all people so they might win some. 
And maybe that also had to do with his name as well. And he said, O full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now we just read about it, but what was Paul's first miracle? Blinding Elimus. Now, when you think about that, that temporarily blinding Eliamus, the sorcerer, is very similar to what happened to Saul of Tarsus. We, last week we were studying about his conversion and what happened to him on the road to Damascus when that great light shined around him and he was temporarily blinded. Now, based on this miracle, is there anything you think that we can learn about Paul. Truth not being taught. I'm somebody going against the truth. All right. Sister Sue says it's, it was obvious somebody was going against the truth. Eliamus was going against the truth. And if Eliamus was going against the truth, and Paul stood up to him. What does that tell you about Paul? He had the courage to stand up against evil. The fact that he was able to speak and Eliamus was temporarily blinded, what does that else does that tell you about Paul? He was able to perform miracles. You know, Paul was an apostle, and this is the first evidence of him having that kind of power. When I answered this, I would say that God is with Paul, that Paul is a defender of what is right, and Paul has the courage to take a stand against evil. As we read on, then the proconsul believed when he saw that what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord, and when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, not much is said about John Mark in this particular occasion, about him leaving and going back to Jerusalem. But later in our study, not tonight, but later in our study, we'll find out a lot more about this issue. If you look at the map, you can see that they're in Galatia now. And we're, as we go to the next step, we're going to see where they are. And when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch of Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Paul spoke to the people in the synagogue here. He did it at the invitation of the people that run the synagogue. It seems that this was a custom when a visitor would come in. It would be very, especially if they were Jewish, that they would ask them if they had anything that they wanted to say. And certainly Paul wasn't a Jew, was of Jewish heritage. He was a Christian at this time, but he was going into the synagogue and they treated him with respect. This is where we find a sermon from Paul. And I know this is a little bit long, but if you've never heard what Paul taught when he went into these places, I thought it would be good for us to hear this, and Brother Warner is going to read Paul's sermon. Then Paul stood, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now, for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. 
And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked him for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we, declare to, and we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it's also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised, from him, that he raised him from the dead, no more returned to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he who also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified, justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, and a work which you will by no means believe, though one were declare it to, were declare it to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them in the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. In the Gospel Advocate commentary, they broke this sermon down, and they, broke, they said he started out looking at history, and certainly he did, and you can see on the screen that God chose and exalted a people. He delivered them from Egypt. He gave them a country. He provided judges for them. At their request, he gave them a king. He removed Saul and raised up David. From David's seed came Jesus. You can see that as he's preaching to them, and since most of the people in the synagogue were probably Jews, they knew exactly what he was talking about. So they're going to be saying amen to everything that he's saying so far. But then he goes on to prove that Jesus is the deliverer. And he does this by the testimony of John the Baptist. He does it with prophecy. He does it by the fact that his resurrection was witnessed by a lot of different people. They were eyewitness accounts. And he does it by scripture. And then he gives his appeal and he also has a warning. He encourages them to believe, and then he gives a warning from the prophets. Now just, this is not in your study guide, but Paul starts in the Old Testament when he's teaching people in Antioch of Pisidia about Jesus. And, and Paul not only did that in this sermon, in other letters... He stressed the value of studying the Old Testament. He did that in, in, the, in the book of Romans, the letter to the church in Rome. 
You'll remember in Romans 15 and verse 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. This question's not in your study guide. I'd call it a bonus question. What's the potential value of when you're starting to teach a person, if you start back in the Old Testament to teach that new prospect? Can you think of any, re any value to doing that? Tell me one reason. People get a better understanding, Sister Brenda says. Better understanding of God. A better understanding of what else? All right. By prophecy, the coming of Christ, and better understanding of the value of obedience. When I was thinking about this, I know we could go for quite a while on this, but one of the things, when I'm teaching a new person, I like to start in the Old Testament sort of like Paul did because it lets people know that God cares for his people. It lets them know that God keeps his promises, that he rewards the obedient. The fact is there are, dis there are consequences for uh, disobeying God. I think about examples like Nadab and Abihu. That's a pretty extreme example, but there, if, you, if you don't follow God, there are always going to be consequences. But all through the Old Testament, there are prophecies about Christ. And certainly it lays a foundation for them to preach the gospel message of the New Testament. As we go on in Acts chapter 13, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. This question, I believe, is in your study guide. What caused the Jews in Antioch of Pisidia to be filled with envy and to oppose Paul. He, he gathered a crowd. Uh, people get jealous when the opposition gathers a crowd. Even in our day, sometimes one politician will have a huge crowd and the other politician is going to get upset with that. Well, in this case, the Jews saw a crowd gathering. Not only was it a crowd, it was a crowd of their own people. They're about to lose their own following. So they saw this multitude seem to be interested in this new gospel message. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Why did Paul and Barnabas say they were turning to the Gentiles? Because the Jews rejected them. Thank you, thank you Brother Bonham. You know, this... Uh, rejection, Paul said, they had declared themselves unworthy of everlasting life. That's sort of being plain spoken. When a person rejects the gospel, what they have rejected is the route to heaven. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Who did Paul and Barnabas say had commanded them to preach to the Gentiles? The Lord. Now you say, well, that's sort of obvious. Well, as we study about Paul, one of the things that surprised me is how many times Jesus Christ is going to be personally talking or sending them or not sending, personally talking to first Saul of Tarsus and then the person that we call Paul. 
Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. What was the reaction to the Gentiles when they heard the preaching of the gospel? They were glad. When you think about it, and were not only glad, they glorified God. They, it wasn't just entertainment. They believed. They were converted throughout the whole region. And this is the region of Galatia. We're going to be studying in next week's lesson the introduction to Galatians itself. And so we're seeing that the people that were converted were sometimes Jews and sometimes Gentiles. And the, con and the con congregations that are established are going to be mixed congregations. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their, their region. Just a flashback. Back at the conversation the Lord had with Ananias about Saul of Tarsus. He said in Acts the ninth chapter, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, we had just seen there in Acts 13 and verse 50, that what these Jews were doing, they were raising up persecution against Paul. This is the first indication we have of Paul's persecution because of his preaching. And it goes right back to a prophecy that Jesus had made when he talked to Ananias. What action did the Jews take in opposing Paul and Barnabas. Who did they stir up? The chief women, and who else? Chief men. <laughs> I don't know if you have noticed, but usually in an assembly of the church, there will be more men, women than there are men. And even though the men are up leading the congregation, the women are extremely influential. And I guess these Jews knew that the women were going to be influential and they raised the, they got the prominent women against Paul and Barnabas. When we get to Galatians, we're going to find, as we study about false teachers, that there were false teachers from inside the church. The false teachers inside the church were different than the people here that are persecuting them. The people that are persecuting them here are Jews that are outside the church. When we get to Galatians, what we're going to find is Jewish converts who wanted them to go back and add parts of the Old Testament law were trying to disrupt the church churches of Galatia. So Paul is going to have to deal with the Jewish people outside the church as well as Jewish people inside the church. And what these people did, they not only stirred them up, they expelled Paul and Barnabas from the region. And they shook the dust of their feet against them and came to Iconium. How is the action of Paul and Barnabas here similar to Jesus' instruction to his disciples in the limited commission? Did anybody look that up? I know you had some of you had a study guide. Very similar. Very similar. Because if you go back and you look at in Luke chapter 9, verse 5, And whoever will not receive you when you go out of the city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. I know we don't want to give up on anybody 
understanding the gospel message and becoming a Christian. But if we just spend all of our time on somebody that always says no, 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 we'll never get the gospel message to the entire world. Maybe there's a principle here that some point in time you have to go on to the next prospect. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So did the persecution of the Christians in Antioch of Pisidia have the impact that these obstinate Jews wanted it to have? It did not. What happens when Christians are, persecution, are persecuted? Usually they come together and become stronger. And it looks like that's what's happening here as well. We're going to move on to lesson three in your study guide. We'll begin in chapter 14 with verse one. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. So you can see there are a lot of cities there in the mount in Galatia and Iconium is, is the one that they're at now. It's, it's circled on the screen. Even though they're in that city, where did Paul and Barnabas do their first teaching in Iconium? Synagogue. Synagogue. This is the same thing that we saw earlier when they first went in on the Isle of... Uh, on that... Let's go back. Isle of Cyprus. They went to the synagogue as well. This was their normal thing. They'd first take the message to the Jews and then they would expand from the Jews to the Gentiles in the, in the area and that's what they did here as well. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Do you believe it's possible to have your mind poisoned? There, there are some people that are in the business of poisoning minds. We see it in, in political campaigns all the time with mis disinformation and misinformation. Sometimes it's just called public relations. Who are the opponents to the teaching of Paul and Barnabas? The unbelieving Jews. I like the way you put that. It was the unbelieving Jews because we had just read that some of the Jews believed. So we're going to have Jews that oppose Christianity and Jews that accept Christianity in this first missionary journey. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Once again, Paul and Barnabas are, are able to do miracles here. Describe the behavior of Paul and Barnabas in Iconium. I may have answered that question. They spoke boldly in the Lord. They bore witness to the word of his Lord's grace and they did signs and wonders to confirm the message. In verses four and five, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles and when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. Oh, describe the social environment in Iconium when Paul and Barnabas left the city. Confrontational. You knew which side people were on. They, they were not timid to share their feelings. Some were on one side and some were on the other side. And it sounds like it would have been hard to be the ruler of that place. The city was divided. The unbelieving Jews and Gentiles versus the Christians. And the enemy plotted. They plotted to abuse and stone them. They came, became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding region. 
And there they, they were preaching the gospel there. Our mission team uh, just uh, made a decision to fund a person who's going overseas to an area where there's no church. You know, when that person gets over there, what we expect them to do is to preach the word. Uh, it would have been no point to go on the missionary journey unless you were going to share the gospel. And they're going into Lister and Derby and what they're doing is preaching the gospel there. So you, you can see from the map that they're on the edge of, of Galatia in this particular section. What can we learn from how Paul and Barnabas dealt with the opposition to their teaching? Uh, that's sort of an open-ended question. Anybody got any ideas on that? I would say that they take action to protect themselves from harm. They didn't when they thought they were going to be stoned in this particular case, they got out of town. Uh, if they get killed, it sort of hurts sharing the gospel. And even when opposed, though, they kept preaching. And the message for me is that we ought to do the same. You know, we ought not try to sacrifice our life unless it's necessary. And we should not let other people's opposition cause us not to share the gospel. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, and Paul observed him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up, straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. What was the physical condition of this man? He couldn't walk. How long had he not been able to walk? He never could walk. He was born that way. He was crippled from his mother's womb. He also was listening to Paul speak. What kind of miracle did Paul, or what is this miracle that he that Paul performed. He told him to do what? Get up and walk. Paul said, stand up straight on your feet. What did the man do? He did more than stand up straight on his feet. The Bible says he leaped and walked. There wouldn't have been any doubt of the, in the spectators around that, this, that something marvelous had just happened. And when the people saw that Paul had done what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of their city, brought oxen and garland to the gates intending to sacrifice with the multitude. So what misunderstanding did the miracle that Paul initiated cause? They thank you, Brenda. Brenda said they assumed that they were gods. The crowd thought Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes, their false god, rather than understanding the miracle was through the power of Jehovah God. What else do we learn about Paul from this passage? Well, it is true that Paul said he was making he was making sure that they knew that he was not God. I would imagine though Barnabas did the same thing. There is something different that we find in this passage of Different from Barnabas. How was Paul different from Barnabas in this passage? Thank you, Jeremy. Jeremy said that he was the chief speaker. 
You know, in a lot of the studying about these two men, you, you see Barnabas listed first and then, then Paul. But by the time we get to this first missionary journey, it's more Paul and Barnabas. And now we see that not only is it Paul and Barnabas, but, but Paul is the spokesperson for the two of them here. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of the same nature as you and, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. So you can see that Paul and Barnabas are going out of their way to let them know that they weren't gods, but there was truly a God in heaven. And he, they even let them know that what they were doing was useless. And I think we just answered how they restrained the crowd. They restrained the crowd with information about the true God. They rent their clothes, they ran among the multitude, and shared the truth about the living God. What does it mean when people back in this day rent or tore their clothes? What did that tell you? Sorrow. sorrow. And why were Paul and Barnabas in such a sorrowful state? Because people misunderstood what they were preaching. Oh, that's, it hurts a preacher when a preacher is misunderstood. And certainly Paul and Barnabas did not want to take the place of God in anybody's, anybody's mind. And because of that, they rent their clothes and they ran about trying to share this information with the crowd. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came, came there and having persuaded the multitude, what, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing him to be dead? What caused these additional problems for Paul and Barnabas? Troublemakers. People from Antioch and Iconium came there. Not only did they come there, they stirred up the crowd. And so what did the crowd do? They stoned them. The question that uh, Brother Milton Floyd has asked us is, was that a miracle that Paul could, was not killed? Certainly it looked like the providence of God is involved there. And now the first introduction that we have of Saul of Tarsus, what was happening when we first meet Saul of Tarsus, way back when we studied about his life? He held the cloak of other people stoning Stephen. And now he's going through the same kind of punishment that Stephen went through, except that it doesn't kill him. You know, Jesus said that there were going to be a lot of things that he's going to have to suffer. And now he is being stoned because he's standing up for Jesus Christ. Stephen was stoned because he was preaching Jesus Christ. They stoned him. They dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed to... Barnabas and, and Derby, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, 
they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So you can see where they went. The Derby is circled there. And then they started going back to the cities that they had been run out of town of before. What does this tell you about the courage of Paul and Barnabas? That's pretty awesome. about the stones. Don't we think about stones like a, a rock, you know, when the stones are bigger? <clears throat> Sister Sue Mason wants to know, is the stones that they use any different than the stones that we see around here tonight? You know, out in some parts of the county, you might even find a gravel road. I would think that the stones that they had are bigger than the gravel that we have. The stones that they had were small enough to be thrown, but large enough to kill you. That was the intent of those stones. And when they went back to these cities, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every city, they prayed with fasting they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In what additional city did they preach the gospel? What was the name of that last city they went to? Derby. All right. And then they, they backtracked. And what was, the, what was the response of the message in Derby? A lot of people believed. They made many disciples. Um, I sometimes, you know, going to uh, Indianola this past week, the congregation is wanting to reach out to the community. It used to be a much bigger congregation. Janita was telling me that back in the 60s, her daddy went there and preached a gospel meeting in Indianola, and it was a rather significant congregation then. I know in 2009, we had a mission team that went to Indianola and uh, did a vacation Bible school while we were there. I remember we brought in enough people to fill up the whole auditorium there. When I was there Sunday, there were 22 people, counting Janita and me, in that. It's not because the people there do not want people in town to come. It's they haven't figured out a way to get them to come. And yet Paul and Barnabas would go into this place and they were able just in a little time to convert a whole lot of people. And, and when we have missionaries come here, at least somebody talked to us once every quarter, they usually talk about great results in foreign countries. We've got to figure out how we can have great results in the United States of America in sharing the message. After they preached in Derby, what did they do? Well, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, and they strengthened the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. They warned them of upcoming tribulation. They appointed elders in every church. They prayed, fasted, and commended them to the Lord. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atala, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. So you can see they made a complete loop. And so what we've done is we have studied about the first missionary journey and we now know the churches that they established on this first missionary journey. And we're ready now to move into the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. So I hope you've got a foundation and will be ready as we move next week to begin our study of Galatia. He had a greater influence. They saw the, the, the power of the Lord in that he survived the stoning and he was still able to preach.
Brother Bonham said Paul had a tremendous influence, and one of his great influences was they saw that he survived the stoning, and he did not stop because of the stoning. He continued to preach. If there's any lesson for us, let's stand up no matter what the devil throws at us and continue to grasp the opportunity. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your blessings. We're thankful for Paul and for the great work that he did. We're thankful for your recording this for our learning. We pray your blessings to be upon the Boonville congregation. We pray that you'd help us to see the opportunities before us. We love you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.